If you're watching online, God bless you. Thank you for tuning us in to our last fall class of the semester. And uh, we'll pick it back up here in January. January the 9th will be our next, uh, will be our next class. And so uh, we hope that you will uh, sign back up or let us know you're coming so we can be prepared for you on January the 9th. Got a good word for you from, from the Word this morning. You may have, haven't had a chance to have your quiet time yet. You're, you're, you're like, quiet time, man, I'm just glad to be here. I, I just rolled out of bed, help me now. So Isaiah 40 is a text, 41, that I have been just reading, and God's just really been encouraging to me and speaking to me, and I want to share this with you. I got a chance to share this with our teenagers uh, here, well, just, just a couple hours ago, Corey. <laughs> what it feels like, amen, uh, shared this word from Isaiah with our students uh, last night, and it's Isaiah 41, 10, and 13. Well, oh, this is a good word. I, maybe you can tell me after the class if this word was specifically for you. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then verse 13, you know, I love it when the Bible repeats itself. It's like, okay, you didn't catch it the first time. Let me make sure I say it again, and you get it this time. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. Two times in verse 10, and once in 10, one in 13, it uses these words, I will help you. So, I don't know who that's for. Uh, somebody needed to hear it, that you are not alone. God is with you. He loves you. He has not forgotten you. And he's going to get you uh, through it, whatever it may, it may be. So uh, today we're going to uh, pick back up where we left off last time. We're going to look at the doctrine of, of man. And it's a fascinating study to me just to study the highest, the pinnacle of God's creative ability, which is uh, humankind. And with all of our uh, dynamics of relationship, when you talk about humanity, then you begin to talk about sociology as you move into the realm of us socializing or being in fellowship with one another in all kinds of entities, in corporations, companies, in churches, and families, and especially uh, the great institution that God created even before the church. Somebody help me. It starts with an M. Marriage. Marriage that's right. Uh, a relationship between husband and wife. And so that's where we're picking up in point number three, Roman numeral number three. It says, man as male. Uh, and female. And so let's pick up with our study here, and uh, we will continue on through we finish the, um, uh, the lesson on the doctrine of man. And this is where we'll stop. I, I planned on going through 10 lessons, but we just, we just didn't make y'all keep interrupting me and asking me all these questions. I'm just kidding. You, you never interrupt me. I'm just kidding. Uh, and I, in fact, I don't even leave you enough time to ask questions at the, at the end, but I enjoy hanging around afterward and fellowshipping with you. And if you want to do that today, uh, I'll be happy to do it as well. If you have a question or you want to share something uh, uh, with me, maybe a personal story or whatever, I'll be happy to, to hear it. Uh, but my goal was to go through 10 lessons and then do 10 in the spring. Uh, but today we're going to go through 7, unless y'all want to stay till about noon. And then we'll just go on and we'll catch on up through 10. Just kidding. You know, David Platt does that when he goes overseas. He'll teach like 12-hour increments of time. He'll go over and just, he'll, they'll say, okay, teach us the... The Old Testament, he'd say, okay, I'm going to teach you the Old Testament in 12 hours, and tomorrow we'll do the New Testament. I'm like, ah, that's, that's, that's amazing. 
Uh, we're not going to do that uh, today. We're, we're going to finish the doctrine of man, and uh, we'll pick up with lesson eight, uh, the doctrine of sin, I believe it is, in January. Okay, so in chapter 22, uh, Grudem, in, in the big book that I brought here with me, he takes an entire chapter and talks about God creating mankind, and he creates them male and female. Now, this has so many uh, theological implications, and it shouldn't surprise us uh, that in Genesis, where we see God creating everything, He creates this institution called uh, uh, marriage. So let's, let's begin, A, with personal relationships. In the marriage relationship between a man and a woman, we see the highest form of human interpersonal uh, relationships. In Genesis 2, 4, it teaches us that man shall do what to his mom and his dad? He shall, he shall leave and what? Cleave. That's right. Some of you are like... Really? Are they supposed to leave? Is he supposed to, you know, leave? Yes, he is. He's supposed to. He shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become what? Help me. One flesh. Now, this union of male and female is far more than just uh, sexual. It, it is emotional. It's, it, it's spiritual. It's physical. And God created marriage in this way to, uh, to bless mankind, to show us where we can be uh, at our best in that harmonious relationship uh, of marriage. And God chose marriage. It's very interesting to me. Um, a lot of times people say, what's the big deal? Why do Christians get all bent out of shape about homosexuality? It's not that big of a deal. I mean, really, if a, if a guy wants to be with a guy, let him. If a girl wants to be with a girl, let him. It's not that big of a deal. It's a real big deal. Now, first of all, it's not natural. Not even the animal world does that. But God used male and female coming together to depict something that we appreciate a lot today, and that is the church. Did you know that? He uses the male-female relationship to describe uh, the relationship you and I have with one another in the body of Christ. Anybody want to help me and tell me what passage of Scripture, what entire chapter in the New Testament devotes itself to the relationships between husband and wife and how it is a picture of the church? Anybody? Ephesians, that's right, Ephesians chapter 5 talks, talks about this. <clears throat> the union of man and woman in marriage not only reflects the church, but it also even reflects the plurality of the persons of the Godhead. It's interesting to me, in Genesis 1.26, only one verse before the creation of male and female, you with me? Only one verse before the creation of male and female, God says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and then he creates them, uh, male and female. So you have the Trinity, uh, you have the church, you have all this diversity and unity and all of this. You know what I was thinking? I think it was this morning, I'm getting my, my nights and my days and nights confused, but it was either late last night or early this morning. I had this thought, I actually wrote it in my notes. Who thought of this amazing idea of a union of a husband and wife called marriage that would reflect the, the Godhead, that would reflect the church. Whose idea was that? And that was God's idea. And I, that's why I, my, my, my evolutionary friends, I have a lot of issues with that because all the, all the beauty and all the complexity and the psychology and the sociology and the, how, how, did, how did that come about? I mean, Adams and 
you know, protons and, and, and mass mutation and selection, how does that amalgamate in such a way that it creates these sophisticated interpersonal relationships? Well, we know the answer is that's impossible. Uh, God is the one who, who does this. Okay. Sounds like I'm preaching at 7 o'clock in the morning. Amen. Top of the morning to me. Equality in personhood and importance. Okay, so let's talk about this. This is a great, uh, really a great spiritual insight. And I remember first being introduced to this concept by the president of Chriswell College. His name was uh, Dr. Rick Mellick. And Dr. Mellick uh, shared in an article, and, and I remember it, it was, it was so powerful, and, and Grudem picks up the same argument in, in his big textbook here. He talks about how within the marriage relationship, you have a beautiful picture of what the Trinity looks like. And what he means is, in a marriage relationship between husband and wife, ontologically or of their essence, they are, they are equal in their essence, uh, just like in the Trinity. Remember we talked about, they talked about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we should never say God the Father, God the Son. You know, we should just say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're three in one, they're one in three, they're equal in their personhood, and yet functionally, uh, there is subordination in functionality, not in, not in person. And so Rick Mellick, Wayne Grudem, and others uh, teach this, and this is, he says, and they say, is a great picture of what marriage ought, ought to be like. Men and women created by God in His image and likeness, they live complementary lives, okay? But they have differences in, in roles, okay? However, this is not true in all religions and cultures of the world. You ever, you ever notice that? Not every religion, not every culture in the world teaches that man and woman are equal. Uh, what is it in, in cultures of the world? Do they give more emphasis and supremacy to man or to woman? It's to man. I mean, you, you can go to some societies today, they can't even vote. Ladies can't even vote. They can't even show their face uh, in public. And if you go to China, and if you're a couple, and you have a, a, a girl, you know, a lot of couples, they just... They kill that baby. They leave that baby, abandon that baby because they want to have not a girl, but they want to have a boy. But in Christianity, we don't tolerate any of that. And I love that. I mean, Jesus, among, among all the, the greats and the religious leaders, of the, only Jesus was the one who, who truly elevated the role of female. And I find that fascinating. And, that's, and it is reflected in the marriage and is reflected in the church that we are on the same Plain. I am no better than Ashley. Ashley is no better than me. We are equal in God's eyes. And some of y'all going, well, duh. But, but duh. Think about that. Think about that when you go to other cultures or when you go to other religions or you go to other places where the woman is not only second class, but she is, she is way inferior in, in many contexts. Grudem writes these words. He says, our equality as persons before God. All right, with me? Our equality as persons before God, reflecting the equality of persons in the Trinity, should lead naturally to men and women giving honor to one another. Giving honor to one another. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and 12. We'll look at this verse. It says, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man. In the Lord. Are you with me? In the Lord. For as woman came from man... 
Even so, man also comes through a woman, but all things are from God. And so you have this relationship, this beautiful relationship that God creates. It is very intricate, it's very revelatory, it's very detailed. And, and when, you, when you look at that relationship that husband and wife have, it reflects the, the, the equality and the persons of, of the Trinity. And, and, let me, and, and in the church, listen to this verse. This is a really good one here. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. You are not going to read this verse in any holy book except the Bible. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Before you flip the slide there, stay with me. There is neither slave nor, what is it going to say? And there is neither context here, what is it? Male or female. All right, let's roll it here. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one uh, in Christ Jesus. And so in, in, in Mormons, Joseph, Joseph Smith marrying 50 women, I, that's, that's not cool. I mean, that, that's, that's not going to Muhammad having multiple, multiple wives, his earliest, youngest one being nine years old. Imagine that, having sexual relations with a nine-year-old. That's pedophilia. I mean, that's, that's, that's dishonorable to women. That's certainly dishonorable to God. I'm telling you guys, only Christianity elevates women to a place where they should be elevated, and that is on an equal par, absolutely on an equal plane with men. Ladies, if you're going, that's right, bring it on. You should, because that's who you are. Now, in the marriage, okay, in the marriage and in the church, God looks to the male to give primary leadership. You say, whoa, 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 time, whoa, time, time, out. Well, you just said, no, I know, I just said and I also just said that in the Godhead, the three and one, the one and three are equal, but in responsibilities and delineations of, of purpose, then there is a subordination. And I'll show you this here um, in, in just a minute. So let's get on into differences in, in roles. This is letter C, if you're taking notes, letter C. Um, male and female equal in essence, yet there are differences in roles just like in the Trinity. Though equal in deity and in importance... The father takes the leadership role because the Bible said that God so loved the world that, the, that he sent the father. Is that what it says? And God so loved the world that he sent what? He sent his son. And then when you come over to um, in the New Testament, it says, and the, and the Holy Spirit comes from the father and the son. So you have this, um, you have this leadership, if you will. And, uh, and, and you see this, especially in the book of John, where Jesus is going, ho, ho, time out. I'm not coming of my own accord. I'm coming because he sent me, and my desire is to do everything that he's asked, what? Everything that he has asked me to do, because I am the son, and I am following the directives, and I'm going to be obedient to uh, the heavenly father. And so, even though they're the same in essence, the father is, is not more deity than the son, and the son is not more deity than the Holy Spirit. No, they are equal in persons and yet they have delineations and differences in roles. Let me show you this verse, 1 Corinthians 11.3, as it relates to our topic of study today, and it goes like this. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Isn't that beautiful? I, mean, that's, I know that's kind of deep, y'all, for 7 o'clock in the morning. I, I know your coffee's kicking in, you're going, what is he talking about? What is this? 
That is a deep teaching. That's a powerful teaching. It's certainly not heretical, is it? It can't be heresy because it's where? It's in the Scriptures. And so it just shows you, though, even though they're equal in their person, there's differences um, in, in roles. You know, these distinct roles were created by God even before the fall of man in Genesis 3. Some, some would argue that, well, man has the headship, but it, but it never was like that in the beginning. The only reason man has the headship and leadership is because of the fall. And we live in a fallen, twisted culture, and it never was that way before. But yes, it was. You know, it was. In Genesis chapter 3, before the fall, what you have here is um, God creating mankind and calling it mankind, Adam, Adam, man. He didn't call the entire human race woman or Eve. It was Adam who named Eve, stay with me, and. When Eve sinned by biting into that forbidden fruit, she gave it to the man, and what did he do? He ate. He said, that's right, I've been, been, doing, every, I've been doing what I've been told, brother, every, every sin, just do what the wife said, happy wife, happy life. Well, listen, he bites into that, and when God comes to hold them accountable, guess who he goes to? He goes to man. He goes to Adam. He says, Adam, what you been doing? What, what's going on here? He didn't go to Eve and say, Eve, what... Because man, in God's economy, the way God created it, if you have a problem with this, take it up with the Lord and His Word. This is, this is the, um, the, I don't say the hierarchy, but if I use that word, it's simply in the context of, 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 role, of, of not relationship, or ontology, but in our, in our roles. So, he is the one responsible for leadership. After the fall and the curse, there was an expansion of roles, but... No new roles were created. I'm using my words carefully here, okay, and for a reason. After the fall, the curse, there was an expansion of roles, but no new roles created. For Adam, he still would be the leader, but his punishment would be... Do y'all remember this? What, what was the punishment for man? Toil. Very good. Very good. I remember in a Hebrew class in Old Testament about 100 years ago, um, our teacher taught us something, and it stuck with me. He goes... God always created mankind to work. Work is not evil. Work is not sinful. In fact, Adam's working. He's naming the names. He's tending the garden. He's taking care of things. But after the fall, now it's the laboriousness of work, you see. There is a difference. What was the punishment for, for the female gender? Are you a Bible scholar or what? Sitting here on the front row, Miss Vivian. You're just getting all the answers right. Yes, the... What did you just say? Now, thank you. The, the, the difficulty in, in labor, that was uh, God's punishment to a female. Okay. So, let's come on over to the New Testament and look at roles of husband and wife and how they're clearly delineated in Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33. In verse 21, it says, Be submissive to one another. And some interpret that to mean the husband and wife are to be submissive to one another. But Grudem disagrees, and I do too, because that's not the context. The context of that verse 21 is the relationship in the church, okay? And in the church, we are to be submissive to one another, and we are to be submissive to the leadership that God puts over us. But verses 22 through 24 makes it very clear that in the husband and wife relationship, this is the way, this is the way it ought to break down. Wives, hupotasso, line yourselves up under your husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ. Have y'all read that before? As Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, some people read that, and it fascinates me when a secular, humanistic world, they read those verses, and they get these contorted looks on their faces, and they just start coming, I mean, start screaming, and they're like, oh, I've never read anything so antiquated and barbaric and, and, and archaic. I mean, who in, whose idea was that? Whose idea was that for a man to take leadership in a church and for a man to take leadership in a home? That would be God's idea. God wrote the book. And if he wrote the book and that's the way it really is, and by the way, the book's not written for unchurched people. Did you know that? The Bible was never written to unbelievers. It is written for us who have been saved, who have been changed, who have died. We have died to self, and we've been raised to new life in Christ. He lives within us. Now, the best book, or at least the best book I've, I've read on this differences in roles and yet equality in persons is, um, and I thank Brother Kyle. Kyle Miller's the one that put me onto this book, and I read it, and I love it. And it's um, Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson I'm going to pronounce it Egerichs, Egerichs, however he says it, it's Emerson. And I love this book. He builds this whole book on this one principle of Ephesians 5.33. So let the husbands so love their wives and let the wives see to it that she respects her husband. Okay? The husband leads with godly sacrificial love and the wife willingly, lovingly submits to his leadership. Now listen to this. This is interesting by Grudem. If the husband sins... Through harsh leadership, or passive leadership, or no leadership, that distorts God's plan. And if the wife seeks to usurp the role of leadership created for the husband, or if she becomes passive and does not contribute to the decision-making process, then this too is unhealthy as well. You know, God is, uh, God is true. I mean, I tell you, you test him, you test him at his word, and he always demonstrates the veracity of his word, and his ways just work. Ashley and I, we've been married 27 years, and 15 of those have been great. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I just want to make sure if y'all are up and what, uh, uh, alive. No, they, they've all been great. And, and it's so, uh, you know, we got our little uh, pictorial directory pictures, and uh, and we, we went ahead and just bought the, the frame. You know, we got the frame, and, uh, and so uh, they sent, well, they had the wrong address. And so all of y'all have been getting your pictures, and we're like, what's up with this? We still haven't gotten our pictures yet. And so Ashley's calling them. They said, well, there was a smear in the, in the address, so we didn't know who to send it to, but now we got it, and we're sending it to you. And I walked in the house the other night, and I, I saw then that little frame, and I was just like, that's my family, you know? And I was just, I was just, fired up. I was like, there's my wife who loves the Lord. She loves me. And there's those, those youngins that used to be real small. We, we were over here at the corner bakery. The other day. I'm about to sweat to death. Let me take this thing off. This thing works. Um, this jacket does. Uh, I was at the corner bakery the other day and, uh, with, with Ashley and a couple of our kids and this lady and this husband. They had their, um, they had their two children. And they were young and they acted young. Y'all with me? Y'all know what I'm saying? And she was like, she had one baby just, you know, just kind of looking around. And, and the baby would look at us, and we'd just kind of wave at it, you know. 
And I just kind of laughed and go, oh, bless you. I remember them days. And then the other one, you know, was running around. And so they all get to leave. And the grandmother, and they're all standing right beside me. And, and I just made a comment. I said, well, y'all sure have a beautiful family. And, and they said, thank you. And I said, there's good news. And I pointed to mine. I said, they grow up. You know, it, it, does, get, it does get a little bit easier. But isn't, isn't it an awesome thing how God has created this thing called the family? And we get to participate in the family. And we get to even more participate, or we do get to participate in the family of God, the way God created it. Okay, I'm going to get real technical on you this morning, and I'm going to give you some words that are, these are some cool words, and I want you to take these and use them at the office today and impress your friends, all right? Just, just kidding, but I do want you to, to hear these. The essential nature of man, and this deals with, um, uh, does man have a body and a soul, or does man have a body, soul, and a spirit, all right? So this is the monism the trichotomy and the dichotomy uh, discussion. So let, let's talk about these words. This is fun to me. I, I always love being convinced that I'm right until I read somebody else and they start messing with me. Y'all good with that? You know, I, I just thought it was, I just always believed it was a trichotomy situation. And here comes Grudem, and he has these powerful arguments for a dichotomy. Man, yesterday I spent hours, this week I have been spending hours with Mr. Reformed Grudem with Calvinism, and it's intense. And I haven't stepped over to his camp of being, you know, Calvinistic, if you will, but I have been very impressed with his argumentation and why he believes what he believes. I still believe what I believe. To me, this is just fun. I like being stretched. I like being challenged. And so, well, anyhow, well, you say, what in the world are you talking about? A trichahooka, what, what is this? A trichotomy says that man consists of body, soul, and spirit. A dichotomy says that man only consists of a body and a soul spirit. Soul spirit, not soul and spirit. And then monism says... Well, you're just a physical being, and when you die, kapoof, that's it. There ain't no spiritual. There is no soulish. I mean, you die, and that, that's it. Well, all of us would disagree that three is wrong, right? I mean, we, we all know there is a spiritual nature in us. And even the strictest monist, I would like to challenge them, think, really? I mean, you really think this is all there is, flesh and blood? You don't believe there's any immaterial uh, substance about us? And so I would ask them to rethink that. But anyhow, let's look at the arguments for... The, uh, the dichotomy first, okay? Uh, Jesus says in John uh, 12, 27, Now is my soul troubled. In John 13, 21, John says, Jesus was troubled in spirit, okay? And, and Grudem's point is, these are interchangeable. These are synonymous. There, is, there should not be a breakdown in soul and spirit because they are the, the Bible would refer to one just like it would refer to uh, the other. Uh, in death, the Bible states that the soul departs in Genesis 35 and Isaiah 53. But the Bible also says that the spirit departs the body at death in Luke 23 and Ecclesiastes 12. But nowhere in the Bible, this is interesting, nowhere in the Bible will you read where one person, it said that his soul and his spirit departs. That's a pretty solid argument for uh, this dichotomy uh, position. But the best argument for it, and this is the one my systematic theology professor put on us in class, and this was his argument, that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said these words, Do not fear him or those that kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Okay? 
He did not so kill the soul and kill the spirit. But he says, but rather fear him who is able to destroy, destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a very strong endorsement for a dichotomous position, okay? Well, what about trichotomy? Well, did you know what? There's equal biblical support for a trichotomy position. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and this is the verse I always thought of. when I, It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole, are you with me? Spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, okay, in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, it speaks of those who are of the flesh, those who are soulish, and those who are spiritual. But Grudem holds to his belief that when the Bible speaks of spirit and soul of man, they are interchangeable, synonymous terms, should be viewed not as separate parts of the human being, but simply as immaterial part of man, separate, separate from his actual physicality or, or body. Okay? I'd be interested to hear what some of you guys are on that. I'm confused. <laughs> I, don't, I, I just know I am. I'm you know, I'm either a trichotomy or dichotomy, and ultimately, I don't think it really matters. Now, some would disagree with that, because some have this elaborate theology built on the soulish part of man, the spiritual part of man, and the physical part of man, and that's, that's cool, okay? okay? Okay, Grudem goes on to write about those who believe that man is purely physical with nothing immaterial or soul or spirit. And he said philosophers who hold to this position are most notably a secularist or humanist or atheist, and they only believe in the empirical and the rational. By the way, you work with these people. Austin is replete with these people. Uh, they, they don't give much attention to the spirit or the soul of man, or else they'd pack themselves out in this church, okay? Or they would read their Bibles and they would seek God, but they, they diminish... Diminish. In fact, that's one of the reasons I believe Austin is so unchurched is because we have so many cool things to do that elevate the flesh of man, that please and the appetite of the sensual nature of man, the physicality of man. And so with spirit, soul, spiritual stuff, well, I don't, I don't really have as much time for that. Well, some go so far to say if it's not empirical, if I can't see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, feel it, then it does not exist. And so then you have people say, there is no God, there are no angels, there are no demons, there is no resurrection of the spirit or the soul. All of that is just a bunch of spiritual stuff and we don't, we don't give any weight to it. But I disagree. I believe that God has created us in such a way that, um, you know, we, we do have these physical beings. We're just, just fascinating, fascinating human beings that we are. And yet what makes us even more fascinating to me is uh, different than the plant and the animal world, is that we have this Im image deo. We have this ability to fellowship and know God within our inner person, our soul, our spirit, if you will. Okay. All right, speaking of the soul or the spirit, where did it come from? You ever thought about that? Where did the soul of man come from, or the spirit of man come from? Or if you're a trichotomist, where did the soul and the spirit of man come from? Well, there are three different options. Okay, number one is creationism. It's the view that God creates the soul of each person and gives that person his or her soul somewhere between conception and birth. Okay, creationism. Some of you are looking at me like, I never even thought about that. What? Creation, I, well yeah, God created the body, 
And creationism says that God, when he created the body, sometime between conception and, and birth, God creates the, the soul, okay? Number two, I don't even know if I can pronounce it, but it's, a, it's one of them, Traducianism. Traducianism says God creates the soul and the body, but they are inherited from their parents. Isn't that interesting? That, that's it. And when I first read that, I was like, I've never heard that before. And I don't, that's, but then I kept reading. I was going, hmm, that is interesting because he began, as he describes traditionism, and I'll, I'll describe it for you in a little bit like he does. The third one is pre-existence, how's that? Extensionism is, is the big word. And that, that, you know, this is the old Greek idea of the pre-existence of the soul where all these souls were floating around in the heavenlies, all right? You were floating around up there, and then in eons and eons of time, and your mom and dad came together and uh, physically became in mom, and God took one of them, shoop, he took one of them souls, you know, whoom, and he, he gave you a soul. Now, I don't believe in that at all. I, I see no biblical precedent for God, the pre-existence of, of the soul. So let, let's go back to these other two, the creationism and traditionism. Uh, of course, I hold to the creationism part. But I do see some of the validity of the second one. And, uh, and again, um, uh, oh, before I do, let me, let me give you this good verse on this. The Isaiah 42, 5, do we have this? Talking about the spirit. Oh, yeah, let, let, look at this, it's good. Uh, Thus says uh, God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes uh, from it. Who gives, I think the Hebrew word there is ruah, the breath. Who gives breath to the people on it? He gives the spirit to those who walk uh, on it. So, that's, a, that's, just a good, that's just a good word for us to keep in mind. Well, anyhow, the traditionism part, uh, Grudem, he, he makes a little bit of an argument for it, and it goes like this. God gives an individually created soul to the child, and that soul is consistent with the hereditary traits and personality characteristics that God allowed the child to have through its descent from its parents. I'm like, hmm, I can't disagree with that because I am my mother's boy. You know, I am my father's, that's me. And I have those personality quirks, I mean, personality traits, you know, and eccentricities and uh, uh, idiosyncrasies and just plain weirdness that, that it's been passed down, you know. And so I, I, I see, I kind of see that second, um, second view about, you know, and physically we look like our parents and then also we act like our parents a lot because we just take on some of those uh, characteristics. So anyhow, I know that's kind of deep for, a, uh, for, an early, for an early morning. Uh, you know, it's interesting, I don't, I, I don't talk about my dad a lot, and, and I, um, because we just did not have a very good, uh, good relationship, but the older I get, it's kind of like the more I love him, the more I appreciate him. Does anybody else, anybody else relate to that? I think the older I get, the more I understand the, the trials and the temptations and the tribulations he went through. Of course, he turned to alcohol and turned to other things to get him through the difficulties of life, and I'm turning to Jesus, and I'm finding out Jesus is a whole lot better than alcohol. You know what I'm saying? He's awesome. And so, um, and, but man, I was looking at his picture the other day, and I almost put it on Facebook. It's a picture of my dad in his sailor uh, uniform. And I, in fact, I meant to put it on Facebook because uh, Monday was what day? Somebody help me. 
It was Veterans Day. And so I, I was looking at that, and, and I thought, you know, that is my dad. And for all the mistakes he made, he's still your dad. And, and you love him, and you appreciate him. And when I get to heaven, I want to ask him, where did we get some of these crazy ideas and thoughts about it? But anyhow, that's another, another thought. Well, we're done. We're done early. I didn't want to start session eight because I wouldn't finish session eight, and I didn't want to go six weeks and then pick up session eight. If you're upset, I'll return some of your funds, your fees that you paid for this class. I'll, I'll, I'll write it out for you. But I do have a treat for you. Isn't that nice? A treat before you leave. Uh, but before I go any further, I see my friend Topper Reed in the back. Topper, would you say hey to us? Wave at us back there. I uh, love this guy. Topper has um, been helping our church as an uh, outstanding uh, consultant who's helping us in our education ministry and really helping us with a lot of different things such as our, uh, our uh, welcoming, our hospitality, and just helping us, in his words, get ready for company uh, on Sundays. I love that. And Topper, I hope you get to spend a little time with you uh, here when we're, when we're done. So, brother, come on in. I'm sorry, but we're done. I know, that's that rough, but I'll, I'll, give, you the, I'll give you the outline if you, if you want it. So let me, let me leave you with, a, with a, good, a good word, all right? And then if you have some questions, you want to, we can do some question and answer time. Okay, before we do the question, uh, before we do the video, do you have any questions? Do you have any concerns? Do you have any thoughts about traditionism and creationism and trichotomy and dichotomy? Do you have any thoughts or any questions about it? Oh, look at the hands go up. I love it. I love it. Yes, sir. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. That's, that's, that's a good point. I can tell you what Grudem would say about that. To me, I'm still, I don't know, I, maybe I'm a budding theologian because I, there's a lot of things that are in, in process with me. And I'm, He would say, no, it's because when God created the soul, he created that soul with some of the same characteristics of that soul of that uh, father and that mother in and, and God's economy and God's great sovereignty how in the world do you create a soul? Come on now. But he's not picking parts, you know. He creates that soul as an entity, but he created it in a way, the same way that he created that mom and that dad. That's why they have a propensity to behave like them because the same God who created their soul created their parents' soul with some of the same attributes and qualities. Now, that's what, that's what he says about it. Um, I'm still a little nervous about that. I don't, I don't know about that. I do know that I do take on those characteristics of my mom and dad. But you bring up a good point, a good uh, question, uh, Jason, and that is, uh, would they not take on some of the characteristics of their adopted uh, parents, which would make it more in the physical realm and less in the soul-spirit realm? That's, that's, a good, that's a good point. Yes, yes ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, Interesting. Oh, interesting. Mm. So that, it's not just the ancient Greeks who believed in the preexistence of the soul. It's, uh, it's our Mormons, hmm. Mormon friends. 
And they are my friends. When the doorbell rings, I'm like, I know who this is. And you, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's like it's a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, the doorbell rings, and I'm like, I know who this is. And there's a part of me that does not want to answer the door because, you know, I, but I do, and I go, and I, and I tell them. The first thing I tell them, I say, I first I say, okay, are you Jehovah Witnesses or are you Mormons? They're like, they kind of, well, we're Church of Latter-day Saints, Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. I said, well, first thing I want to tell you is I commend you. And it messes them up because they're, they're like, Nobody commends us. Nobody gives us the time of day. They usually slam the door in our face. I say, I commend you because you believe in what you believe so deeply, you're willing to come knock on my door to tell me what you believe. And I say, I commend you for that. In fact, I do the same thing that you do. And they're like, oh, this is going to be fun. Then I say, however, I totally disagree with, let's begin with your Christology. And let's talk about Christology. And then they go, why did I knock on this guy's door? I mean, it, you see it, they just go, oh, you know, and then they find out I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh, you, you're going to take this material? Probably not. I'm like, no, it's okay. And then I said, no, okay, let's talk about your origin. Let's talk about Joseph Smith. And then I ask him, have you read Fawn Brody's excellent book, No Man Knows My History, the UCLA professor? And they're like, no. I said, well, you ought to read it, because it is a fascinating biographical study, historical account, of your leader, and I don't tell him this, I'm close, to, I think I did tell the last group this, and he was psychotic. He was a psycho. He really was. And you need to, you need to read to, to determine for yourself if this is true or not. Anyhow, get off. It's your fault, Lori. You talk about Mormons, and in my ADD, I go off into Mormonology somewhere. It's the same devil. That's true. De- deceiver. The deception. Breaks, breaks my heart. Okay, how about this section? Any questions? Oh, hello, brother. Go ahead. That's 4.12. That's right. That's a good biblical text for trichotomy because it says it divides between the soul uh, and the spirit. Very, very good. All right, anybody else? Yes, ma'am. You believe the soul is separate than the spirit, separate from the body. Yeah, the trichotomy position. That's um... <laughs> don't put no twos in there when we're doing good with the threes. And and I have heard it um, described that the soulish part of man, which is not on the same level of the spiritual dimension. I mean, the soulish part of man, kind of like, uh, yeah, I'll say like the animals, but an animal knows, you know, your old yeller, old dog, you know, he, he has feelings, you know, he, he, he can be happy, he can be sad, he can, he can get in the trash. I mean, Abby, she's getting the trash for 12 and a half years. We couldn't break her getting the trash. And I'd walk in and I'd just look at her, she'd go, <laughs> Just walk, you know, walk away. So, hey, yes, sir, Herb. Go ahead. The thing I would say is, you know, Jesus is going to go high after the Holocaust. Yeah, he he's saying it's more related to the to the actual physical, the DNA, the heart, and um, 
the genetic makeup and all. So, I don't know. Interesting. Maybe y'all don't have the answer either. I was hoping y'all would illuminate me and just eradicate all my con- confusion. Yes, sir, in the back. Ralph. Oh, well, I, I just told you. That, that's the only way I've heard it broken down is that the soul is... Kyle, give us your explanation of it. With God. So Mike's arguing for um, relating to more the spiritual realm. I don't think he's saying much different, Kyle, than what you're saying. It's the, it's the spiritual realm that relates to God. It's the Holy Spirit coming, with, coming within us as believers in Christ. And he lives the, the Christian life uh, in us and through us. Uh, and yet before the whole, let me ask you a question, Mike. Uh, before the Holy Spirit comes within us, the unregenerate lost person, what's his spiritual life? Look, he just has a body and a soul. Interesting. So we got a dichotomy pre-conversion, and we got a trichotomy post-conversion. Try that one on your colleagues at work today. You say, you know, I heard a wise scholar once say, Brother Mike, that. Now look at you and like, I think you need a coffee break. <laughs> you need a break. You know, it's exercise. It's exercise to the mind to think, think through these things. Anybody else got a question and comment before we uh, bless you with something? Yes, sir, Bob. I've heard it described that way. It's all, and when it's described that way, the mind, the intellect, the volition, those kind of soulish things, as Kyle said a moment ago, is secondary, it's not in importance to the, the, the more spiritual, the, what, relating to God, the vertical. And I think it was Johnny Hunt that actually shared that in a message one time. And it's always stuck back in my, in my brain, which that would be a definite trichotomy of position. But on the dichotomy side, Grudem has a good point. He, you can, he can demonstrate in Scripture where um, the soul, spirit, can be used synonymously, interchangeably. And he, he gives that, and Jesus said, don't fear the person who just killed the body, but who can kill the body and the soul. And why didn't Jesus say, and kill the body and the soul and the spirit? So He said, if you're saved, you don't have the... Okay, so Jesus wouldn't be pronouncing judgment on that. Okay, interesting. Yes, sir. Right. Hmm. Interesting. You sound like Mike, Bob. That's interesting. Maybe Grudem ought to expand this chapter and include this theory, this this ideal. It's good. I tell you, you think this is fun. Wait till we talk about election. 
It's going to be, oh, man. I mean, I've been reading Grudem and just, I'm like, wow, that is really, really interesting. It's so funny. Yesterday, uh, when I was studying this, this would be lecture 12, and everything has to be just really, really quiet. And I'm in my room, in my study, and, and Grudem talks about uh, election. And he's a very strong, uh, reformed, Calvinist, tulip, straight-up kind of guy, our author is. Okay? And, he, and he goes, now some disagree with my position, and th- here's their position, and he spends an enormous amount of time, and that's my position. And I thought that was interesting. And, but it's the position that he feels like he really has to defend Calvinists against because many Baptists and almost all Methodists hold to that uh, position. He calls it Arminianism. I could never be called an Arminian because I don't believe you can lose your salvation. But, man, I'm, I'm wrestling with that. And I'm in Romans 9. John, you'd love this. I mean, you're just in Romans 9 through 11 going, wow, this is so deep. And, um, and I can't wait to present this to you guys. And I think in a way it'll make you appreciate more the reform position. Because uh, they have some very strong uh, hermeneutics, interpretation of scripture. And um, ain't it cool though that you get to grapple with these things and wrestle with these things? I came away with it. And I woke up this morning just thanking God. God, you're just so much smarter than I am. You've got it all figured out, and I am your child, and that's an amazing thing. To be elect, to be a child of God. What an, what an awesome thing our God did. Okay, let me, let me share this something with you, and then I think it's going to bless you. It's going to encourage you, and you're going to go out, uh, you're gonna go out uh, in, in an overcoming manner. So let me pray for you. We'll show the video, and then we will be dismissed. Father, we love you, and we thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, as iron sharpens iron, so a man's countenance sharpens his friend. Thank you that we learn from each other, that we... Lord, it's pretty cool the way Christians can disagree agreeably, and that we can, um, Lord, we can think deeply, and we can um, consider what the Scripture says, and most of all, God, we just want to line ourselves up under your authority, We want to believe what you believe, Lord. We want to do what you want us to do. And so, God, thank you for our church. Thank you that this is a radiant church, Lord, that thinks uh, deeply, that um, believes in shining inwardly through discipleship, through grappling with doctrine and and theology, and it's so cool, and I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for each person that's in the room today. I ask you, Lord, to help them remember that they are not to fear, uh, that you are with them, that you love them. And you demonstrated that love for them, that even while they were sinning, you, Jesus Christ, died for them. You saved them, and that you are with them. Your righteous right hand will uphold them. Lord, you are going to get them through, uh, whether it be financial, whether it be physical, whether it be spiritual, whether it be something in their marriage, their family, that, God, we believe that all things will work together for good uh, to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord... May even this video from Mandisa, may this bless us and encourage us, Lord, that we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers through Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and we'll show this right quick.